This is chapter 3 of Heaven on Earth by Thomas Brooks, and this is the second part of chapter 3, which is on hindrances to assurance. To dispute about things too high for our thoughts hinders assurance. The second impediment to assurance is in men's entering <clears throat> into the lists of disputes with Satan about those things that are above their reach as above, about the decrees and counsels of God. Oh, by this, Satan keeps many precious souls off from assurance. Since God hath cast him out of paradise and bound him in chains of darkness, he will make use of all his skill, power and experience to draw men into the same misery with himself. And if he cannot prevent their entering at last into paradise above, he will labour might and main to make their life a wilderness here below. And to this purpose he will busy their thoughts and hearts about the decrees of God, and about their particular elections, as whether God hath decreed them to eternal happiness, or chosen them, or to everlasting blessedness, and so on, so that by this means he may keep them from that desirable assurance that may yield believers two heavens, a heaven of joy and comfort here, and a heaven of felicity and glory hereafter. It is said of Marcellus, the Roman general, that he could not be quiet, nec victor nec victus neither as conqueror nor as conquered. Such a one is Satan. If he be conquered by faith, yet he will continue striving. If he conquers, yet he will be roaring and triumphing. Satan's great <coughs> design is to eternally ruin souls, and where he cannot do that, he will endeavour to distress souls by busying them about the secret decrees and counsels of God. If the soul break through his temptations, as David's worthies did break through the hosts of the Philistines, 1 Samuel 23:16, and snap his snares in sunder, as Samson did his cords, Judges 15, 13 and 14, then his next shift is to engage them in such debates and disputes neither that, that neither men nor angels can certainly and infallibly determine so he may spoil their comforts when he cannot take away their crown. Now thy wisdom and thy work, O doubting soul, lieth not in disputing, but in believing, praying, and waiting on God. No way to heaven, no way to assurance like this. Adam disputes with Satan and falls and loses paradise. Job believes and resists Satan and stands and conquers upon the dunghill. When Satan, O trembling soul, would enrage, engage thee in disputes about this or that, say to him, Satan, revealed things belong to me, but the secret things belong to the Lord. Deuteronomy 29.29 29. It is dangerous to be curious in prying into hidden matters, and careless and negligent in observing known laws. Say to him, Satan, thou hast been a liar and a murderer from the beginning. John 8.44 Thou art a professed enemy to the saints' confidence and assurance to their consolation and salvation. If thou hast anything to say it, it, it to my Christ, he is my comfort and crown, my joy and strength, my redeemer and intercessor, and he shall plead for me. Ah, Christians, if you would but leave disputing, and be much in believing, and obeying assurance would attend you, and you should lie down in peace and take your rest, and none should make you afraid. Job 11 verses 13 to 20. The lack of self-examination may hinder assurance. 3. The third impediment that keeps poor souls from assurance 
is the lack of a thorough search and examination of their own souls and of what God hath done and is a doing in them. Some there be that can read better in other men's books than in their own, and some there be that are more critical and curious in observing and studying other men's tempers, hearts, words, works and ways than their own. This is a sad evil and causes many souls to sit down in darkness, even days without number. He that will not seriously and frequently observe the internal motions and actings of God in and upon his noble part, his immortal soul may talk of assurance and complain of the want of assurance, but it will be long before he shall obtain assurance. O oh, you staggering, wavering souls, you tossed and disquieted souls, know for a certain that you will never come to experience the sweetness of assurance till your eyes be turned inward, till you live more at home than abroad, till you dig and search for the minds that be in your own hearts, till you come to discern between a work of nature and a work of grace, till you come to put a difference between the precious and the vile, between God's work and Satan's work. When this is done, you will find the clouds to scatter and the sun of righteousness to shine upon you and the day star of assurance to rise in you. Doubting, trembling souls, do you not deceive yourselves? It is not a careless, slight, slender searching into your own hearts that will enable you to see the deep, the secret, the curious, the mysterious work of God upon you. If you do not seek as for silver, and search for Christ and grace, as for hid treasures, you will not find them. Proverbs 2 verses 3 to 5. Your richest metals lie lowest, your choicest gems are in the bowels of the earth, and they that will have them must search diligently and dig deep, or else they must go without them. Doubting souls, you must search and dig again and again, and you must work and sweat and sweat and work. If ever you will find those spiritual treasures, those pearls of price that are hid under the ashes of corruption, that lie low in the inmost recesses of your souls, Tell me, O disturbing souls, hath that sweet word of the Apostle been ever made to stick in power upon you? 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, or whether, the faith, whether faith be in you. Prove yourselves. The precept is here doubled to show the necessity, excellency and difficulty of the work, to show that it is not a superficial but a thorough, serious, substantial examination that must enable a man to know whether he hath precious faith or no, whether he be Christ's spouse or the devil's prostitute. All is not gold that glitters, all is not faith, that men call faith. Therefore he that would not prove a cheater to his own soul must take some pains to search and examine how all is within. How all is within. Climacus reports that the ancients used to keep in a little book a memorial of what they did in the day against their night reckoning. But ah, how few there be in these days that keep a diary of God's mercies and their own infirmities of spiritual experiences and the inward operations of heavenly graces. Seneca reports of a heathen man that every night asked himself these three questions. First, what evil hast thou healed this day? Secondly, what vice hast thou stood against this day? Thirdly, in what part art thou bettered this day? And shall not Christians take pains with their own hearts and search day and night to find out what God hath done and is a doing there? God hath his doing hand, his working hand in every man's heart. Either he is 
are working there in ways of mercy or of wrath, either he is building up or a plucking down, either he is a making all glorious within, or else he is a turning all into hell. Well, doubting souls, remember this, that the soundest joy, the strongest consolation, flow from a thorough examination of things within. This is the way to know how it is with for you for the present, and how it is like to go with you for the future. This is the way to put an end to all the wranglings of your hearts, and to put you into a possession of hev- heaven on this side of heaven. Mistaken views about God's work of grace hinder assurance. 4. The fourth impediment that keeps many precious souls from assurance is their mistakes about the work of grace. Look, as many hypocrites mistake a good nature for grace, and those common gifts and graces that may be in a Saul, a Jehu, a Judas, for a special distinguishing grace, and so on. So the dear saints of God are very apt to mistake grace for a good nature, to take pearls of price for stones of no value, to take special grace for common grace. Many trembling souls are apt to call their faith unbelief, with the man in the Gospel, Mark 9.24, and their confidence, presumption, and their zeal, passion, and so on. And by this means, many are kept off from assurance. Now, the way to remove this impediment is, wisely and seriously, to distinguish between renewing grace and restraining grace, betwixt common grace and special grace, betwixt temporary grace and sanctifying grace. Now, the difference betwixt the one and the other I have showed in ten particulars in my treatise called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And to that I refer thee for full and complete satisfaction. If thou wilt cast thy eye upon the particulars, I doubt not but that thou wilt find that profit and content that will recompense thee for thy pains. This I thought more convenient to hint to thee than to write over the same things that there thou wilt find to thy delight and settlement. The grieving of the Holy Spirit by the believer hinders assurance. 5. The fifth impediment to assurance is their grieving and vexing the spirit of grace, not by hearkening to his voice, but by refusing his counsel, by stopping the ear, by throwing water upon that fire he kindles in their souls, and by attributing that to the spirit that is to be attributed to men's own passions and distempers, and to the prince of darkness and his associates. By these and such like ways they make sad that precious spirit that alone can gladden them. They set him a mourning, that alone can set them a rejoicing. They set him a grieving, that alone can set them a singing. And therefore it is that they sigh out with Jeremiah, Lamentations 1 verse 16. Behold, he that should comfort our souls stands afar off. Ah, doubting souls, if ever you would have assurance, you must observe the motions of the Spirit and give up yourselves to his guidance. You must live by his laws and tread in his steps. You must live in the spirit and walk in the spirit. You must let him be chief in your souls. This is the way to have him to be a sealing spirit, a witnessing spirit to your hearts. Believe it, souls, if this be not done, you will be far off from quietness and settlement. The word that in 1 John 3 verse 19 is rendered assure signifies to persuade to note to us that our hearts are froward and peevish, 
and apt to wrangle and raise objections against God, against Christ, against the Scripture, against our own and others' experiences, and against the sweet hints and joyings of the Spirit. And this they will do, especially when we omit what the Spirit persuades us to. Omissions raise fears and doubts and make work for hell, or for the Spirit and physician of souls. Or else, when we do that which the Spirit dissuades us from, if you be kind and obedient to the Spirit, it will not be long a night with your souls. But if you rebel and vex him, he will make your life a hell by withholding his ordinary influences, by refusing to seal you to the day of redemption, and by giving you up to conflict with horrors and terrors, and so on, Isaiah 63.10. Therefore be at the Spirit's beck and check, and assurance and joy will ere long attend you. The judging of spiritual matters by mere feelings hinders assurance. 6. The sixth impediment to assurance is doubting souls making their sense reason and feeling the judges of their spiritual conditions. Their sense, reason and feeling the judges of their spiritual conditions. Now, so long as they take this course, they will never reach to assurance. Reason's arm is too short to reach this jewel of assurance. This pearl of price is put in no hand but the hand of faith that reaches from earth to heaven. What tongue can express our heart or heart conceive the fears, the doubts, the clouds, the darkness, the perplexities that will arise from the soul's reasoning thus? I find not that the countenance of God is towards me as before, Genesis 31.5. Therefore surely my condition is bad. I feel not those quickenings, those cheerings, those meltings as before. I am not sensible of those secret stirrings and actings of the Spirit and grace in my soul as before. I do not hear such good news from heaven as before. Therefore, certainly God is not my God. I am not beloved. I am not in the state of grace. I have but deceived myself and others, and therefore the issue will be that I shall die in my sins. To make sense and feeling the judges of our spiritual conditions, what is it but to make ourselves happy and miserable, righteous and unrighteous, saved and damned, in one day, hey, in one hour, when sense and reason sit as judges upon the bench? Hath God made sense and feeling the judges of your conditions? No. Why then will you? Is your reason scripture? Is your sense scripture? Is your feeling scripture? No. Why then will you make them judges of your spiritual estate? Is not the word the judge by which all men and their actions shall be judged at last? The word that I have spoken, says Christ, shall judge you in that last day. John twelve, forty-eight. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light or no morning in them. Isaiah 8, verse 20. Why then, O doubting souls, will you make your sense and feeling the judge, not only of your condition, but of the truth itself? What is this but to dethrone God, and to make a God of your sense and feeling? What is this but to limit and bind up the Holy One of Israel? What is this but to toss the soul to and fro, and to escape, expose it to a labyrinth of fears and scruples? What is this but to cast a reproach upon Christ, to gratify Satan, and to keep yourselves upon the rack? Well, 
Doubting Souls, the counsel that I shall give you is this. Be much in believing, and make only the scripture the judge of your condition. Maintain the judgment of the word against the judgment of sense and feeling. And if upon a serious, sincere, and impartial comparing of thy heart, and the word together, of thy ways and the word together, the word speaks thee out to be sincere. To be a Nathaniel, to be a new creature, to be born again, to have an immortal seed in thee, and so on. Cleave to the testimony of the word, joy in it, rest upon it, and give no more way to fears and doubts. Let thy countenance be no more sad, for nothing can speak or make that soul miserable, that the word speaks out to be happy. Psalm 119 verse 24. Constantine would have all differences and disputes in the Nicene Council ended by the Bible. O doubting souls, look cheerfully to this that all differences and controversies that arise in your hearts be ended by the word there is danger in looking away from the scripture or beyond the scripture or short of the scripture or upon sense and feeling so much as upon the scripture therefore let the word be always the man of thy counsel no way to assurance and joy to settlement and establishment like this if, if you are resolved to make sense and feeling the judge of your conditions, you must resolve to live in fears and lie down in tears. The indulging of laziness and carelessness hinders assurance. 7. The seventh impediment to assurance is men's remissness. Carelessness, laziness and shallowness in religious services and in the exercise of their graces. Ah, how active and lively are men in pursuing after the world, but how lifeless and inactive in the ways of grace and holiness. Ah, doubting Christians, remember this, that the promise of assurance and comfort is made over, not to lazy but laborious Christians, not to idle but to active Christians, not to negligent but to diligent Christians. John 14 verses 21 to 23. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Now Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. So 2 Peter 1 verses 10 and 11. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. A lazy Christian will always lack four things, that is, comfort, content, confidence and assurance god hath made a separation between joy and idleness between assurance and laziness and therefore it is possible for thee to bring these together that god it is impossible for thee to bring these together that god put hath put so far asunder assurance and joy are choice gifts that christ gives only to laborious christians the lazy christian hath his mouth full of complaints when the active Christian hath his heart full of comforts, God would have the hearts of his children to be hot in religious services. 
Be fervent, or seeing hot as it is in the original, in spirit serving the Lord, Romans 12.11. That service that hath not heavenly heat, that hath not divine fire in it, is no service, it is lost service. A lazy spirit is always a losing spirit. Oh, remember, lazy Christians, that God is a God of action, therefore he loves activeness in religious services. Remember the angels, those princes of glory, are full of life and activity, and they always behold the Father's face in glory. Matthew 18.10 Remember he that will find rich minerals must dig deep. He that will be rich must sweat for it. He that will taste the kernel must crack the shell. He that will have the marrow must break the bone. He that will wear the garland must run the race. He that will ride in triumph must get the victory. So he that will get... Assurance must be active and lively in duty, Proverbs 2, verses 4 to 6. It is only fervent prayer that is effectual prayer. It is only the working prayer that works wonders in heaven and that brings down wonderful assurance into the heart. Cold prayers shall never have any warm answers. God will suit his returns to our requests. Lifeless services shall have lifeless answers. When men are dull, God will be dumb. Elias prayed earnestly, or as it is in the Greek, he prayed in prayer, and God answered him. Many there are, many there be that pray, but they do not pray in prayer. They are not lively and earnest with God in prayer, and therefore justice shuts out their prayers. When one desired to know what kind of man Basil was, there was, saith the history, presented to him in a dream a pillar of fire with this motto, Talis et Basilus. Basil is such a one, all on fire for God. Ah, lazy, doubting Christians, were you all on a fire in hearing and praying and so on? It would not be long before the windows of heaven would be open, before God would rain down manna, before he would drop down assurance into your bosoms. My advice to you, lazy Christians, is this. Cease complaining of the want of assurance and be no more formal slight and superficial in religious services but stir up yourselves and put out all your might and strength in holy actions you shall experimentally find that it will not be long before you shall have such good news from heaven as will fill you with joy unspeakable and full of glory neglect of duties hinders assurance eight the eighth impediment impediment to insurance is Men's living in the neglect of some ordinance or in some omission of some religious duties. They seek Christ in some ways of his, some of his ways, but not in all. They wait upon him in this and that ordinance, but not in every ordinance. Are there not many doubting souls that wait upon God, in hearing the word of life and yet neglect, and make light of waiting upon Christ, in breaking the bread of life? Are there not many that are very careful daily to perform family duties and yet are very rarely found seeking God privately some there be that are all ear all for hearing and others there be that are all tongue all for speaking and praying and others there be that are all eye all for believing all for searching all for inquiring into this and that and others there be that are all hand all for receiving the Lord's Supper and so on And seriously, when I consider these things, I cease wondering that so many want assurance, and do rather wonder that any obtain assurance, considering how few there be that are conscientious and ingenious in waiting upon God in every way and service 
wherein he is pleased to manifest his grace and favour to poor souls. Well, doubting souls, remember this. God will give assurance in one ordinance when he will deny it in another, that you may seek it, his face, in all. God loves as well that you should wait on him as that you should wrestle with him. He that will not give God the honour of attending him in every duty, in every ordinance, may long enough complain of the want of assurance before God will give him the white stone and the new name that none knows but he that hath it, Revelation 2.17. Many of the precious sons of Zion have found God giving assurance in one ordinance, others have found him giving assurance in another ordinance. God speaks peace to some in such and such services and comfort to others in such and such duties. Therefore, as you would have assurance, O doubting souls, seek the Lord in every way and service wherein he is pleased to make known his glory and goodness. In hearing, Christ opens his box of ointments to some, and in praying and breaking of bread, he lets his sweet myrrh fall upon the hearts of others. Some have seen the glory of the Lord in the sanctuary, that have been clouded in their private devotions. Others have heard a sweet, still voice in their private devotions that have sat long trembling in the sanctuary. Remember, doubting souls, Moab and Ammon were banished. Were banished the sanctuary to the tenth generation for a mere omission because they met not God's Israel in the wilderness with bread and water. Deuteronomy 23, 3 and 4. And I verily believe that God doth banish, as I may say, many from his favourable presence, as David did Absalom, for their sinful omissions, for their non-attendance upon him in all his ways. Therefore, if ever you would have assurance, seek the Lord, not only while he may be found, but also in every gracious dispensation where he may be found. Then shall the joy of the Lord be your strength, and his glory shall rest upon you. The days of your mourning shall be ended, and you shall lie down in peace, and none shall make you afraid. I would earnestly desire you, O doubting souls, seriously to consider that all the ways of Christ are ways of pleasantness, as Solomon speaks, Proverbs 3.17. Not only this way or that way, but every way of Christ is a way of pleasantness. Every way is strewed with roses. Every way is paved with gold. Every way is attended with comfort and refreshing. So the psalmist, thy paths drop fatness, Psalm 65, verses 11 and 12. Not only this or that path, but all the paths of God drops fatness. Oh then, walk in every way, tread in every path of God, and you would have your souls filled with marrow and fatness, Psalm 63, verse 5. And never forget that choice saying of the prophet Isaiah, Thou meetest him that rejoiceth and worketh righteousness, those that remember thee in thy ways. Isaiah 64 verse 5 They that would have God to meet with them in a way of peace and reconciliation, in a way of grace and favour, must remember God in all his ways, not only in this or that particular way, but in every way wherein he is pleased to cause his glory to shine. Therefore doubting souls cease complaining, and be more conscientious and ingenious in waiting upon God in all his appointments, and it will not be not long be night with you. Love of the world hinders assurance. 9. The ninth impediment that keeps Christians from assurance is an immoderate love of the world. 
Their thoughts and hearts are so busied about, about getting the world and keeping the world that they neither seek assurance as they should, nor prize assurance as they should, nor lament the want of assurance as they should, nor study the worth and excellency of assurance as they should. And therefore it is no wonder that such are without assurance. As it is very hard for a rich man to enter into heaven, Matthew nineteen twenty three twenty four. So it is very hard for a worldly Christian to get assurance of heaven. The thick clay, Habakkuk 2, 6, of this world doth so affect him and take him, so, so satisfy him and sink him that he is not able to pursue after assurance with that life and love, with that fervency and frequency as those must do that will obtain it. It is said, Genesis 13, 2, that Abraham was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. According to the Hebrew, Abraham was very heavy, to show, saith one, that riches are a heavy burden and a hindrance many times to a Christian's comfort and confidence to his happiness and assurance. Solomon got more hurt by his wealth than he got good by his wisdom. Such a fire rose out of his worldly enjoyments as did even consume and burn up his choicest spirits and his noblest virtues and all his royal robes, he had but a threadbare soul. Sicily, saith one, is so full of sweet flowers that dogs cannot hunt there. The scent of the sweet flowers diverteth their smell. And ah, what doth all the sweet delights and contents of this world but make men lose the scent of heaven, but divert men from hunting after assurance and from running after Christ in the sweetness of his ointments. The creature is all shadow and vanity of vanities, Vanity is the very quintessence of the creature, and all that can possibly be extracted out of it. It is Philia Noctis, the daughter of a knight, like Jonah's gourd. A man may sit under its shadow for a while, but it soon decays and dies. Why shouldst thou set thy heart upon that which is not? Proverbs 23.5 Were ever riches true to them that trusted them? As a bird hops from twig to twig, so do riches hop from man to man. Worldly Christians cease complaining of the want of assurance and sincerely humble and abase your souls before God. For that you have so eagerly pursued after lying vanities, for that you have in so great measure forsaken the fountain of living water, for that with Martha you have been busied about many things when Christ and assurance, the two things necessary, have been so much neglected and disregarded by you. Get this world, this moon under your feet, Take no rest till you have broken through this silken net, till you have got off those golden fetters. A heart that is full of the world is a heart full of wants. Ah, the joy of the peace, the comfort, the confidence, the assurance that such hearts lack. The stars which have least circuit are nearest the pole, and men whose hearts are least entangled with the world are always nearest to God and to the assurance of his favour. Worldly Christians, remember this. You and the world must part, or else assurance and your souls will never meet. When a worldly Christian is saved, he is saved as by fire, and before ever he shall be assured of his salvation, he must cry out, Omnes humane consolations sunt desolations. All human consolations are but desolations. God will not give the sweetmeats of heaven to those that are gorged and surfeited with the delicacies of the earth. 
The cock upon the dunghill prefers a barley corn above the choicest pearl. Such dunghill Christians as prefer a little barley corn above this pearl of price assurance. As with Esau prefer a morsel of meat before this blessing of blessings. As prefer Paris above paradise. God's coin above his countenance may at last with Esau seek and seek with tears. This heavenly jewel assurance and yet as he be rejected and repulsed. Hebrews 12 verses 16 and 17. The cherishing of secret sins hinders assurance. 10. The tenth impediment that keeps Christians from assurance is the secret cherishing and running out of their hearts to some bosom darling sin. It is dark night with the soul when the soul will cast a propitious eye upon this or that bosom sin and secretly say, Is it not a little one and my soul shall live? Genesis 19.20 Though God and conscience have formally checked and whipped the soul for so doing, ah, how many there be that daily uh, dally and play with sin, even after they have put up many prayers and complaints against sin, and after they have lamented and bitterly mourned over their sins. Many there be that complain of their deadness, barrenness, frowardness, conceitedness, censoriousness, and other forms of baseness, and yet are ready at every turn to gratify, if not to justify, those very sins that they complain against. No wonder that such want assurance. After the Israelites had ate manna in the wilderness and drunk water out of the rock, after God had been to them a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, after he had led them by the arms... and kept them as the apple of his eye, after he had made them spectators of his wonders, they hankered after the flesh-pots of Egypt. So, when, after God had given a man a new name and a white stone, after he had made a report of his love to the soul, after he had taken a man up into paradise, after he had set a man upon his knee, and carried him in his bosom, after he had spoken peace and pardon to the soul, Psalm 85, 8, for the soul to return to, to folly, Oh, this cannot but prove a woeful hindrance to assurance. This will not provoke God to change his countenance and to act not as a friend, but as an enemy. When love is abused, justice takes up the iron rod. God will strike hard and home when men kick against his mercy. God hath made an everlasting separation betwixt sin and peace, betwixt sin and joy, and betwixt sin and assurance. God will be out with that man that is in with his sin. If sin and the soul be one, God and the soul must needs be two. He that is resolved to dally with any sin, must be, he must resolve to live in many fears. Never forget this. He that savoureth any one sin, though he foregoeth many, doth but, as Ben-Hadad, recover of one disease and die of another. Yea, he takes pains to plunge himself into two hells, a hell here and a hell hereafter. Thereafter, as ever though thou wouldst have assurance, offer up by Isaac, part with thy Benjamin. Pull out of thy right eye, cut off thy right hand. Otherwise assurance and joy will not be thy portion. Now that I may remove this impediment, which is of such dangerous consequence to Christian souls, and keep Christians forever from smiling upon any bosom sin, 
I shall first lay down a few considerations to provoke them to dally and play no more with sin, but to put off that sin that doth so easily beset them, that sticks so close unto them. Hebrews 12.1 And then in the second place I shall propound some means that may contribute to the bringing under of bosom sins, that so it may no longer night be no longer night with the soul. The first motive to provoke you to put out all your strength and might against bosom sins that you are so apt to play with all is seriously to consider that this will be a strong and choice demonstration and evidence of the sincerity and uprightness of your hearts. Psalm 18.23 I was also upright with him and I kept myself from mine iniquity. I kept a strict and diligent watch upon that particular sin that I found myself most inclined unto. And this, says David, is a clear evidence to me of the uprightness of my heart with God. The truth is, there is no hypocrite in the world but doth dandle and dally with some bosom sin or other. And though at times and upon carnal accounts they seem to be very zealous against this and that sin, yet at the very same time their hearts stand strongly and affectionately engaged to some bosom sin, as might be shown in Saul, Judas and Herod, Job 20 verses 12 to 13. Therefore, as ever you would have a sure argument of your uprightness, trample upon your Delilahs. This very evidence of thy uprightness may yield thee more comfort and refreshing in a day of trouble and darkness than for the present thou dost apprehend, or hast faith to believe. Some there be that can tell thee that neither the joy of the bridegroom nor the joy of the harvest are worthy to be compared to the joy that arises in the soul from the sense and evidence of a man's own uprightness, 2 Corinthians 1.12. Sincerity is the very queen of virtue, she holds the throne and will be sure to keep it. Yea, the very sight of it in the soul makes a man sit cheerful and thankful, no alike in the midst of all tempests and storms. Look as the playing with a bosom sin betokens hypocrisy, so the mortifying of a bosom sin betokens sincerity. The second motive to provoke doubting souls to trample upon their bosom sins is solemnly to consider that the conquest of their darling sins will render the conquest of other sins easy. When Goliath was slain, the rest of the Philistines fled. 1 Samuel 17 verses 51 and 52 when a general in an army is cut off, the common soldiers are easily routed and destroyed. Ah, complaining, doubting souls, did you but take the courage and resolution to fall with all your might and spiritual strength upon those particular sins that stick to so close unto you and that do so easily captivate you, you would find that the great mountains that are before you would soon be made a plain, Zechariah 4.7. Other sins will not be long-lived when justice is ex executed upon your bosom sins. Thrust but a dart through the heart of Absalom and a complete conquest will follow to Samuel 18.14. The third motive to provoke you to crucify your bosom sins, be they what they will, is seriously to consider the very great damage that your souls have already sustained by your bosom sins. Saul, by casting an amorous eye upon Agag, lost his crown and kingdom. Samson, by dallying with his Delilah, lost his strength, sight, light, liberty and life. But what are these losses to thy loss of spiritual strength? To thy loss of communion with God, to thy loss of the spirit of light, life, liberty and glory, to thy loss of joy unspeakable and peace that passes all understanding, 
and to thy loss of those fresh and sparkling hopes of glory that were once sparkling in thy breast. Mark Antony was so far bewitched with his Cleopatra that in the heat of the battle of Actium, when the empire of the world, his life and all lay at stake, he fled from Augustus to pursue her to the ruin and loss of all. So many there are bewitched to some Cleopatra, to some darling sin and other or other, that they pursue the enjoyment of them to the loss of God, Christ, heaven, and their souls forever. Ah, Christians, that the sense of what you have formerly lost, and of what you daily lose by your playing with sin, might provoke you to set upon some effectual course for the mortifying of them. It was a blasphemous speech of Henry II, who said when Le Mans, his city, was taken, that he should never love God any more who suffered a city so dear to him to be taken from him. But it will be a blessed and happy thing for you in uprightness to say, Oh, we will never love, we will never favour, we will never dally with our bosom sins more, for they have injured us in our spiritual enjoyments and in our spiritual returns from heaven. Shall a sense of outward losses by this and that instrument work us out of love with them? And shall not the sense of our spiritual losses by bosom sins work us much more out with them our lord of what metal is this heart that can look upon those sad losses that hath attended playing with bosom sins and yet shall dally with those delilahs the fourth motive to provoke you to be the death of your darling sins is solemnly to consider that the conquest and effectual mortifying of one bosom sin will yield a Christian more glorious joy, comfort and peace than ever hath been found, than he hath ever found in the gratifying and committing of all other sins. The pleasure and sweetness that follows victory over sin is a thousand times beyond that seeming sweetness that is in the gratifying of sin. The joy that attends the subduing of sin is a noble joy, a pure joy, a peculiar joy, an increasing joy and a lasting joy. But that joy that attends the committing of sin is an ignoble joy, a corrupt joy, a decreasing joy, a dying joy. The truth is, where there the least real joy in sin, there could be no perfect hell, where men could most perfectly sin and be most perfectly tormented with their sin. Ah, doubting Christians, as ever you would have good days, as ever you would walk in the light, as ever you would like the angels, have always harps in your hands and hallelujahs in your mouths. Be restless till the spirit and power of Jesus you have brought under the sin that sticks clo so close unto you. Remember this, nothing below the conquest of bosom sins can make a jubilee in the heart. It is not a man's whining and complaining over sin, but his mortifying of sin that will make his life a paradise of pleasure. If, notwithstanding all that hath been said, you are still resolved to dally with sin, then you must resolve to live as a stranger to God, and as a stranger to assurance and peace. You must expect sad trials without, and sore troubles within. You must expect to find Satan playing his part both as a lion and as a serpent, both as a devil and as an angel of light. You must expect either no news from heaven, or but bad news from heaven. Then you must expect that conscience will play the both part, the part both of a scolding wife and of a lion that wants his prey. And this shall be your just reward for playing with sin. If you like the reward, then take your course and dally with sin still. If otherwise, then sacrifice your Isaac. 
The fifth motive to cause you to trample upon your bosom sins is wisely to consider that it is your duty and glory to do that every day that you should willingly do upon a dying day. Ah, how would you live and love upon a dying day? How would you admire God, rest upon God, and delight in God, long for God, and walk with God upon a dying day? How would you hate, loathe, and abhor your bosom sins upon a dying day? How would you complain of your bosom sins, and pray against your bosom sins, and mourn over your bosom sins, and watch against your bosom sins, and fly from all your occasions that should tend to draw you to close with your bosom sins upon a dying day? Ah, doubting souls, you would not for all the world gratify your bosom sins upon a dying day, and will you gratify them on other days, which for anything you know to the contrary may prove your dying day? Thrice happy is that soul that labours with all his might to do that at first that he would fain do at last, that doth that on every day, that on every day that he would give a thousand worlds to do on a dying day. No way to assurance like this, no way to joy and comfort like this, no way to rest and peace like this, no way to the kingdom, to the crown like this. I earnestly beseech you, trembling souls, when you find your spirits running out to bosom sins, that you would lay your hands upon your hearts, and thus expostulate the case. Our souls would you thus dally and play with sin upon dying day, a, day, a dying day. Would you thus stroke and hug sin upon a dying day? Would you not rather show all the dislike and hatred that is imaginable against it? Would you not tremble at sin more than at hell? and abhor the very occasions of sin more than the most venomous serpent in all the world? Would you not rather suffer the worst and greatest punishments than to smile upon a darling sin upon a dying day? Yes, oh, would you fain do this upon a dying day? Why not then every day? Why not then every day, O oh, our souls? The sixth motive to provoke you to fall with all your might upon bosom sins is seriously to consider that till this be done, fears and doubts will still haunt at the soul. The soul will still be fearing that surely all is naught and that that work that is wrought upon it is not a real but a counterfeit work, that it is not a peculiar and special work but a common work that a man may have and perish. Till this be done, the soul can never be able to see grace in its own native beauty and glory. The hugging of sin in a corner will raise such a dust in the soul that it will not be able to see these pearls of glory sparkling and shining. Till this be done, doubting souls, you will be but babes and scrubs and dwarfs in Christianity. The hankering of the soul after sin is the casting of water upon the spirit. It is the laming of grace. It is the clipping the wings of faith and prayer so that the soul can neither be confident nor fervent, frequent nor constant in religious services, so that it will unavoidably follow such souls like uh, follow such so that it will unavoidably follow such souls will be like Pharaoh's lean kine, poor and starveling. Look, as many men are kept low in their outward estates by having a back door to some Herodias, Matthew fourteen three. So many doubting souls are kept low in spirituals by their hankering after some particular sins. Remember, Christians, sin is the soul's sickness, the soul's weakness. If the body be weak and diseased, it grows not. Sin is poison that turns all nourishment into corruption, 
and so hinders the growth of the soul in grace and holiness. Ah, Christians, as ever you would be rid of your fears and doubts, as ever you would see the beauty and glory of grace, as ever you would be eminent and excellent in grace and holiness, see that effectual justice be done upon that Achan, that Jonah, that darling sin, that hath occasioned storms within and tempests without. It was a grievous vexation to King Lysimachus that his staying to drink one draught of water lost him his kingdom. Ah, Christians, it will grievously vex you when you come to yourselves and when you come to taste of the admirable pleasure that attends the conquest of sin, to consider that your hankering after this or that particular sin hath made the loss of that joy and comfort, that peace and assurance, that is worth infinitely more than all the kingdoms of the world. Question. But you may say to me, Oh, we would fain have our bosom sins subdued. We desire above all that they may be effectually mortified. But what course must we take to bring under our darling sins, to get off our golden fetters, to get out of these silken snares? To this question I give these answers. The first means, If ever thou wouldst have mastery over this or that bosom sin, and engage in all thy powers and might against thy bosom sin. Draw up thy spiritual forces, and engage them wholly against the sin that doth so easily beset thee. As the king of Syria said to his captains, Fight neither with small nor great, save only with the king of Israel. 2 Chronicles 18.30 So say I, your wisdom and your work, O doubting souls, lieth not in skirmishing with this sin or that sin, but in coming up to a close, sharp fight with the king of Israel. With that darling sin that hath a kingly interest in you and a kingly power over you. Constantine, the great symbol was immedicible wellness ens rescindendum est. When there is no hope of curing, men must fall a-cutting. Believe it, souls, you must fall a-cutting your bosom sins in pieces, by the sword of the Spirit, as Samuel cut Agag in pieces in Gilgal before the Lord, or else you will never obtain a perfect cure. 1 Samuel 15.33 Slight skirmishes will not do it. You must pursue your bosom sins to the death, or they will be the death of your souls. The second means to bring under a bosom sin is to labour to be most eminent and excellent in that particular grace that is most opposite to a man's bosom sin. As it is a Christian's glory to be eminent in every grace, so it is a Christian's special duty to excel in that particular grace that is most contrary to his darling sins. It is pride. It is, the, is, it, it is, is it pride? Is it the world? Is it hypocrisy? That is thy bosom sin? That is the chief favourite in thy soul? Oh then, labour labor above all to be clothed with humility, to abound in heavenly mindedness, to transcend insincerity. I know no surer, no choicer, no sweeter way effectually to crucify a bosom sin than this. He that comes up to this council will not be long held in golden fetters. It will not be long before such a soul cries out, Victory! Victory! The third means to help us to trample upon bosom sins is to look upon bosom sins now as they will appear to us at last to look upon them in the time of health as they will appear to us in times of sickness, to look upon them in the time of our life as they will appear to us in the day of our death. Ah, souls of all unpardoned sins, 
your bosom sins will be presented by God, conscience and Satan at last, as the most filthy and ugly, as the most terrible and dreadful. Your bosom sins at last will appear to be those monsters, those fiends of hell, that have most provoked God against you, that have shut up Christ's love and compassion from you, that have armed conscience against you, that have barred the gates of glory against you, that have prepared the hottest place in hell for you, and that have given Satan the greatest advantage eternally to triumph over you. Ah, souls, at last your bosom sins will more press and oppress you, more sudden and sink you, more terrify and amaze you, than all your other transgressions. Those sins that seem most sweet in life will prove most bitter in death. Job twenty eleven twenty nine. Those pleasant morsels will prove the greatest hell when there is but a short step between thy soul and eternity. Ah, Christians, never look upon bosom sins, but with them, but with that eye, with which within a few hours you must behold them, and this you will find by experience will be a singular means to bring under your bosom sins. The fourth means to subdue bosom sins is to apply yourselves to extraordinary means, as fasting and prayer, etc. Ordinary physic will not remove extraordinary distempers, nor will ordinary duties remove bosom sins, which by long and familiar acquaintance with the soul are exceedingly strengthened and advantage. You read of some devils in the Gospel that could not be cast out but by prayer and fasting, Matthew seventeen, fourteen to 22 So bosom sins are those white devils that will not that cannot be cast out by fervent and constant prayer, joined with fasting and humiliation. Cannot be cast out but by fervent and constant prayer, joined with fasting and humiliation. Souls that are serious and conscientious in observing of this rule will find such a divine power to attend their endeavours as will give them to lead captivity captive, Ephesians 4.8, and to triumph over those white devils within, as Christ triumphed over principalities and powers upon the cross, Colossians 2:14 and 15. The fifth means, as you would have victory over bosom sins, keep off from all those occasions that tend to lead thee to the gratifying of them. He that shuns not the occasions of sin tempts two at once, Satan and his own heart. He tempts Satan to tempt him to taste of the forbidden fruit, and he tempts his own heart to feed upon forbidden fruit. Abstain from all appearance of evil, 1 Thessalonians 5.22. Hate the garment spotted by the flesh, Jude 23. Whatever carries with it an ill show or shadow, favour or suspicion, that abstain from, that you may neither wound God nor the gospel, your own consciences nor others. If there be any fuel to feed thy bosom sin in thy house, remove it, or put thine eye or put it with remove it or before thine eye remove it or in thy hand remove it put it far away thy soul cannot be safe it cannot be secure so long as the occasion of sin are thy companions wouldst thou have a clear evidence of the truth of thy grace then shun the occasions of sin wouldst thou imitate the choicest saints then shun the occasions of sin wouldst thou stand in shaking times then keep off from the occasions of sin, where so keep always the peace with God and peace with conscience, then keep off from the occasions of sin. Where so frustrate Satan's greatest designs and countermine him in his deepest plots, then keep off from the occasions of sin. 
which shall keep thy bones from breaking and thy heart from bleeding, then keep off from the occasions of sin, which shall keep down fears and doubts and keep up faith and hope and keep off from the occasions of sin, which thou have assurance in life and joy and peace in death and keep off from the occasions of sin. Do this and you do all. If you do not this, you do nothing at all. And thus I have done with the impediments that hinder the souls from assurance, as also with the means to remove those impediments. And that's the end of chapter 3. Um, next episode we'll begin chapter 4, uh, which is entitled Motives to Provoke Christians to be Restless Till They Have Obtained a Well-Grounded Assurance of Their Eternal Happiness and Blessedness.